0: From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson.
1: My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect with perhaps the most perfect ending of any film made since the dawn of cinema history. We begin the business of film today. I am Simon Rose in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. Now, oh, James, as you know, I had a week off Walking in the children's last week, so you've had two weeks in which to see movies in the cinema without me uh, talking to you. So um, how has it been going?
0: Well, I would like to apologise to you, Simon, because I, I did say that there are 10 films in the chart I'd like to talk about. Hmm. But I have not seen the film at number six, although I will be reviewing ten films. And the, the film at number six is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me <sighs> Do It, which is the eighth instalment in The Conjuring universe. Hmm. And I cannot bring myself to see it. <laughs> yet another one. You are excused. James. So forgive We're me excused. for that. But we'll start with the number one film, depending on which chart you look at. But I'm going with the official chart although it's actually made a lot of its money in previews, which we talked about two years ago, when the charts weren't entirely about the weekend growth. So this film uh, officially made over the weekend and previews £1.64 million at 522 cinemas. And this is a film called Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard.
1: Oh, it's gosh, yes, I think I read about this.
0: I I, I read a sequel to a film that nobody saw in the first place or liked. Well, I did actually, although I found it unnecessarily violent and even Mm -hmm. sadistic, I did enjoy the Mm -hmm. anti-buddy movie, The Hitman's Bodyguard, directed by Patrick Hughes, from a script by Tom Hooper. Mm -hmm. For the sequel, the clumsily titled Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Tom Hooper's new screenplay has assistance from the brothers Brandon and Philip Murphy, Ryan Reynolds, who we saw in the first film as Michael Bryce, the world's greatest executive protection agent or bodyguard to you and me, Uh, he returns a nervous wreck, as well he might. He's now having counselling from Rebecca Front, who advises him to stay away from firearms if he wants to regain a sense of validation. He is, though, allowed to keep his Swiss army knife so he goes on holiday and he's got his ears plugged into music and he's reading a book uh, and there is this massacre going on around him that he's totally unaware of because salma hayek who is the wife of the hitman played by samuel l jackson is trying to get his help and i'm not going to tell you the story there's absolutely no point this is the sort of film with no shame This is the sort of film in which the villains actually snarl. Cars explode on impact when shot at. Mm. And another stream of F-words from Salma Hayek is deemed to be funny. And when the worst comes to the worst, a hit pop song is thrown into the mix to save the day. None of it makes any sense so that every time Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is shot dead again, I was convinced he would somehow recover. So if you like a lot of shouting, explosions, foul language, and that hang dog look of Ryan Reynolds, you should love it. Perhaps not one for me, James. Perhaps not. At number two is another awful sequel called Peter Rabbit 2, which now has a total of £15.3 million sterling. And a lot of people are saying it's the film that has saved the British film industry, at least the cinema over here. We have a much better film at number three called In the Heights, which over the weekend made £1.1 million. I have been looking forward to In the Heights for about 18 months. As you know, I'm a sucker for a film musical and was most disappointed when the uk release date for this adaptation of the tony winning 2008 broadway musical Conceived-
1: sorry, to inter- sorry to interrupt james but uh, i mean our, our, our friendship goes back a long time when i was also a film critic do you remember when newsies was so exciting to look to because that was what's well, so not right in thinking that was the first
0: musical for years but how wonderful there are more of them now Indeed. Uh, news is that was with a very young, all-singing, all-dancing Christian Bale who can do anything. Oh, I'd forgotten that.
1: i completely <laughs> forgotten. Thank you for reminding me. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just no, that's all right.
0: Um, this is an adaptation of the Tony-winning 2008 Broadway musical conceived and composed by Lynn manuel Miranda. It's obviously put it put back a year because of the pandemic. It is a valentine to New York City, in particular, upper Manhattan, more specifically, the Hispanic neighborhood of Washington Heights, spread over three days of a sweltering heat wave. There's a whole variety of characters, all in astonishingly good nick, and Miranda brings a whole range of Latino musical genres to the stage. It is a hugely complex affair, with a whole network of interlinking backstories. And one, one might be forgiven for not always being able to keep up. I felt as if I was watching it for the first time. Uh, It was the first time I would be sampling its pleasures. And I think on subsequent viewings, I should gain a lot more fulfillment as I become familiar with the melodies and the various characters. Mm. While I was familiar with the two male leads, Anthony, Anthony Ramos from Monsters and Men and Corey Hawkins from Straight Out of Compton and Black Handsman, I didn't know the two female leads, both of whom are destined to become major stars namely, Lazy uh, Leslie Grace, watch out Jennifer Lopez. She's like a very young Jennifer Lopez, she could play her daughter, mm-hmm. and the Mexican actress Melissa Barrera, who already has the title role in the upcoming musical Carmen with Paul Mescal, of all people, from Normal People on television, Mm -hmm. his first big movie opposite... Oh, yes, yes, yes. ...Melissa Barrera. Yeah. Uh, It is very long. It's two and a half hours, but hang with it. I think it is perhaps too long, but I can't wait to see it again. I felt while I was watching In the Heights, it was rather like when I first saw West Side Story, because it was such a totally new musical form, a grown-up, complex, intelligent musical, mm. but every time I've seen West Side Story, I have enjoyed it more. And I think that will be the same within the heights. Mm. Um, it, is, it is a blast of Joy, Bonhomie, and the, the four leads are terrific. And Jimmy Smith's as well in the supporting role. Um, we will, of course, be getting a new West Side Story, won't we? Stephen, in December. Super's version later in the year.
1: Yes, and this we'll go back into lockdown again, of course.
0: But yes. Well, I know. Yes, world events permitting, I'm so looking forward to seeing it yet again. And <laughs> I think West Side Story is and more is this relevant a- now than it's ever yeah. been. Yeah. So this isn't a
1: sort of West Side Story, you know, sort of the same sort of thing, version
0: two. It's completely different. Not- it's completely different. Yeah.
1: Okay. Super. Right. Uh, well, that's in the heights. What next?
0: Uh- Probably my favourite film in the chart, A Quiet Place Part 2, now with a total of £8.3 million. at Five, Cruella, with a total of £7 million, pounds, 000, which I was very disappointed with, I have to say. Um, and we've got number six, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which were uh, with Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, which I refused to see. And I would like to talk before the break about the film at number seven, which considering it was showing at 617 cinemas, the fact that it only made £548 per screen was very disappointing, particularly as we're talking about an Oscar-winning film. As soon as the father starts, we know we are in good hands. It's just a scene of Olivia Colman striding down a London street, I think it's Maida veil, accompanied by the sound of classical music. It reminded me, funnily enough, of Sunday Bloody Sunday, something at once completely modern, grown-up, dramatic, and yet cinematic as well. When Olivia Colman arrives at the flat in which we spend an inordinate amount of time, the director, Florian Zeller, seems confident enough in his material and indeed the calibre of his actors, that we don't have any distracting gimmicks, no frantic cutting, unnecessary music, or fidgety camera work. At once, I just emitted a sigh of relief, (laughs) sank behind my face mask, and let the film draw me into its powerful domestic grip. This is, of course, Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampson's adaptation of the former's own award-winning play, an adaptation that itself won an Oscar for best screenplay. Another Oscar that the film won was for Anthony Hopkins' barnstorming performance as Anthony, a retired engineer who reigns over the many rooms of this particular London apartment. But this is where it gets interesting. As in Alain Rene's Providence, the furniture is moved around to confuse us, As we, the audience, are gradually drawn into into Anthony Hopkins' own muddled mindscape, is it really his flat? And is the strange man who walked into the living room, sits down and starts reading the paper, played by Mark Gatiss, is is he really Anthony's son-in-law? The only real constant is Anne, played by an Oscar-nominated Olivia Colman, who Anthony dotes on although he resents her decision to hire a carer, whom he suspects is a thief. We don't know what Anne does during the day because it's not important. All we know is that Antony likes playing games, likes his opera, can rattle through the Guardian crossword, and is the master of his domain. When finally he is confronted by yet another new carer, Imogen Poots, he turns the tables on her, disarming her with his charm and bon ami, and then humiliating her and turning on her. I am not an idiot, he proclaims. And indeed, he is not. He is a very intelligent, very frightened man, because as if you hadn't gathered by now, he is suffering from dementia. What is so clever and so frightening about the father is that unlike many films about dementia, It creeps into the mindset of its protagonist. One feels the furniture is being moved about and one is never sure where one is. And the monster is not Anthony Hopkins, but the disorientating condition that is eating away his mind. It's hard not to be moved by a film about the various forms of senility. And there have been many of them, Uh, most recently What They Had with Blythe Danner, and The Roads Not Taken with Javier Badem, yet for all its articulate power, I couldn't help wondering why I wasn't more engaged by the father. I think it was because I didn't really know who Anthony was. And while it was commendable to view the malady from his own perspective, we hadn't known, we had, didn't really know him uh, as the man he once was. Like, say, Julianne Moore in Still Alice, we really knew her and we sort of went through it with her. That is not to disparage a brilliant film, and everybody should see it, but I did feel I was an outsider looking in, in spite of the brilliant acting. James, um, thank you. Uh, That is The Father with Olivia Kilmer
1: and Anthony Hopkins. He's saying perhaps a little odd that he took £548 per screen, given how well it did at the Oscars. Maybe people just want... You know, a bit like the Depression era. They just want to have night entertainment. It doesn't sound like, you know, a bundle of laughs at the beginning. No, it's very
0: good. Have we got time to talk about nobody at number eight or should we have a break?
1: In a moment, I think. Let's just take a brief pause for breath.
0: Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
1: This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson as we go through uh, the chart. How nice to have a chart again, James. Oh, indeed, sort of felt, yes, adult, yes. Uh, we've sort of rudderless for such a long time. So, which is the film you want to talk about next?
0: At number eight is a film called Nobody, which I knew very little about from the Russian director Ilya Neyshula. And it's one of the year's big surprises. While it may remind one of other films like Death Wish, True Lies, and American Beauty, it is a total original. This is largely due to Bob Odenkirk, who takes the title role. A comedian and character actor, Odenkirk is not the sort of performer you would expect to see as a mashup of Charles Bronson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Kevin Spacey, yet he is perfect for the part. The last two times I saw him was as Saoirse Ronan and Emma Watson's father in Greta Gerwig's Little Women. And as the TV actor turned US president in the hilarious long shot with Charlize Theron and Mm. Seth Rogen.
1: Yes, probably a lot of people would know him from um, Better Call Saul on um, TV, which is the sort of spin-off of Breaking Bad.
0: So you do know Bob Odenkirk? Uh, Yes, yes. Well, now he gets to play a complete nobody, inspired by an idea by the actor himself who shares a producer credit. The film is set in suburban Winnipeg, where Hutch Mansell lives out the American dream. He has an amazing house, a beautiful wife, two kids, and a a reliable job working for his father-in-law. But his life has also ground to a halt. His son ignores him, The marital bed is unruffled by amorous spontaneity, and he can't seem to do anything right, least of all the domestic chores. Then one night, armed, masked intruders break into the family home, and Hutch finds a gun pushed into his face. After one of the burglars has taken a fistful of dollars and the watch off his wrist, Hutch's son Blake tackles one of them to the ground, and Hutch can but just look on in dismay even though he is holding a golf club and could easily step into the fray. It's not until later that he discovers the robbers took his daughter, his daughter Abby's kitty cat bracelet. And his daughter is the one thing in his life that he will fight for, that he turns into a real man. I don't want to say any more than this, other than the film constantly throws the audience curveball after curveball. And under Ilya Naishula's brisk direction, it is such a stylish affair, packed with throwaway visual gags and bursting with neatly juxtaposed hit songs. There is a true art to placing a hit song in the right place, Mm. and Naishula is is an artist. And to see Christopher Lloyd wielding a shotgun at the age of 82... It's just one of the film's many surprises. So, yeah, I think Death Wish meets American Beauty. It well, is a I, mean, real I was about to
1: ask what genre it was. But yes, Death Wish meets American Beauty. Not perhaps something you could say about very many
0: films over the years, I don't <laughs> suppose. No, it <laughs> was a real surprise. A sort of guilty pleasure, perhaps. But Bob Odenkirk, he's 58. He is amazingly fit. And he has to do a lot of stunts. And I just couldn't believe it. He's an action hero. I don't know what he plays in uh, Muscle... uh, What's it called? Muscle Saul or... Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. What does he play in Better Call Saul? Um, A corrupt lawyer. I'll have to see it now. corrupt lawyer. Well, you'll Um, be really surprised by this and I think you'll enjoy it. I will have to say it's a 15th certificate and I thought it's sort of a real borderline 18, (laughs) some of it. It is very, very violent. I should just warn you. Okay.
1: Okay. Interesting, isn't it? How many more mature actors seem to become action heroes, relatively late in life? Well, writing. like Charles
0: Bronson, indeed. Yeah, I suppose I hadn't thought he back was very to old. How old was he when he? Well, he started doing Death Wish. He was a pretty gnarled
1: old man. Yes, I mean Liam Neeson more recently, but we had quite a well, few yeah. of them, really, haven't we? Yeah.
0: yeah. Anyway, okay, moving on. James. Yep, yep. Uh, Monster Hunter is at number nine, and this is. <laughs> It's another video game franchise, and it's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Mm. And this is his sixth film based on a video (laughs) game. I know, it's his speciality. Uh, uh, Yeah, and it provides the usual jump scares, cacophonous body blows and frenetic cutting, the whole thing becoming one giant special effect. One should not expect an iota of characterization or narrative complexity. This is a firework display, for the nerds, I have to say, I was actually sitting two seats removed from a nerd who absolutely loved it. I absolutely hated it. And he said, but all my friends are really looking forward to it. And I said, do they come around and play with you? He said, no, it's all online. I don't know any friends who actually see it in my house. I don't think he had any friends. Moving on to number 10, Godzilla versus Kong, another film. Oh, I will say in Paul mm. W.S. Anderson's favour. Monster Hunter looks amazing. I always try to find a silver lining. And on the big screen, and it's all about monsters and uh, Miller Jovovich, who is Mrs. Anderson. And uh, it looks amazing. And I will say for that, and I haven't seen Godzilla vs. Kong on the big screen, which is at number 10, but I, I'm sure it looks better on the big screen. But I did see a film which is at number 20, Right. called The Reason I Jump, which was only showing at 38 screens, and so it only made £14,382. It's based on Naoki Higashida's acclaimed memoir of teenage autism. And I think there are m- many films on autism, actually, including Sia's uh, recent de- debacle music with Kate. Oh, yes. This is a documentary and it looks at various um, subjects with non-verbal, serious autism in Sierra Leone, in India, in Kent and a couple in America. And it's really quite extraordinary because an Irish actor narrates the film using Naoki Higashida's words and it's quite hypnotising. And you just realise that We are so lucky being neurotypical that everything we see, it's already provided by our brain, which has evolved over millennia. But for the autistic, they only see the detail. And they have to put together all the details until they get the full picture. It's a very moving, it's almost a hypnotic film. It's almost at times soporific. But I I do recommend it because it did really teach me an awful lot. And I hope we've just got time to talk about the DVD of The Week. Just
1: about, James. Yes. Just, what okay. is it?
0: Well, when I first reviewed Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah for this programme, it had just been shortlisted for a total of six nominations for the Oscars, including the top prize for Best Film. And in fact, I reviewed it the week that the Oscars came out. And it also got nods for all Best Supporting Performance for Daniel Kaluuya, and Lakeith Stanfield because, of course, there wasn't a leading man. Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song and Best Cinematography, courtesy of Sean Bobbitt. I had always stressed that Daniel Kaluya would win and in the process would become the first black British actor to nab the coveted award. Now, Judas and the Black Messiah is out on DVD and Blu-ray this week. And I can confirm that Kalula did indeed win the his Academy Award. While more surprisingly, the film also grabbed the golden gong for best song, which I didn't see coming, for Fight for You by H.E.R., which is a nom de plume for the African-American Filipino singer-songwriter Gabriella Wilson. H.E.R. is an acronym for Having Everything Revealed. There are a couple of neat little extras on the Blu-ray, first covering the Black Messiah himself. That is Fred Hampton, the Illinois... Representative of the Black Panther movement. And the second uh, mini feature covering Judas, aka Bill O'Neill, he who led the FBI into Hampton's inner circle. Following in the footsteps of David O. Cynthia Arrivo, and Kingsley Ben Adir, Daniel Kaluya is a British actor playing an African-American icon. And it's the best thing he has done by a mile. Although he's actually 11 years older than when Hampton died, he has the heft and charisma needed to fill the shoes of the Black Panther's Illinois chairman, a fire and brimstone speaker with gelignite in his eyes. And yet, Shaka King's biography, with a little too many speeches for my liking, does have time to show the little boy beneath the impassioned leader, a timorous soul whose softer side is brought out by the fellow activist, Akira Ghieri, played by the BAFTA-nominated Dominique Fishback. The film could not be more timely, and it's good to see Lakuya Kaluya with his Oscar, particularly as David Oyelowo was denied even a nomination for his portrayal of Martin Luther King in Selma. Lakeith Stansfield, who co-starred with Kaluya in Get Out, is also brilliant, as Bill O'Neill but I feel we shouldn't forget Martin Sheen, who pops up in a supporting role and unrecognisable as a satanic J. Edgar Hoover. So it's great that this is now out on DVD, DVD and Blu-ray this very week. James,
1: thank you very much indeed. I've been in conversation uh, regarding the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. He'll be back with more on movies fast and furious artists. nine at the same time next week james thank you very much indeed
0: well a, a boy's best friend is his mother easy miss i've got you, you you've got me who's got you <laughs> i am not an
1: animal where the devil am i supposed